My name is Yvette Lucas, and I am a Brazilian and Mexican director. The director of Happiness is a Journey Along With. Uh, my name is Patrick Bresnan. Uh, I am the director of Happiness is a Journey and uh, The Rabbit Hunt and uh, an upcoming film called Naked Gardens. This is Factual America. We're brought to you by Almo Pictures, an Austin and London-based production company making documentaries about America for international audiences. I'm your host, Matthew Sherwood. Each week, I watch a hit documentary and then talk with the filmmakers and their subjects. This week, it is my pleasure to welcome award-winning filmmakers Yvette Lucas and Patrick Bresnan. Their documentary films have premiered at Sundance and won multiple awards at festivals, including the Short Film Prize at Cannes. Their body of work captures seldom-seen parts of America, focusing on the marginalized, and in many cases, the forgotten. Their most recent short, Happiness is a Journey, captures a night in the life of Eddie Bear Lopez, who in the film spends his Christmas Eve and early Christmas Day delivering newspapers around Austin, Texas. Please join us as we talk with Yvette and Patrick about their films and upcoming projects. Yvette and Patrick, welcome to Factual America. How are things with you? Good. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, can't, I can't complain. Yeah. Uh, not good to complain. So yeah. I think that life is good. Yeah. Well, good. It's great to have you on. Um, just for our listeners, uh, we're it's a bit different uh, format than we sometimes have. I mean, we are going to talk about first of all uh, your, I gather, is your most recent in terms of what's been released, uh, Doc, which is hap- a short that was uh, out last year called "Happiness Is a Journey." Uh, but we're also keen, you know, you've got a you've got a great filmography. Um, certainly, uh, Pahokee, uh, Skip Day, Roadside Attraction are some of the more recent ones I'm I'm familiar with. So we're we're we've we're we love your work and we're just excited to have you on and to to talk about uh what you guys are up to and what you will be up to and what we can expect from you in the in the near future um if um if maybe to get us started um if you don't mind if what is what is happiness is a journey all about um so happiness is a journey is a christmas story uh happiness is a journey uh, involves the night before Christmas in a newspaper sorting warehouse yeah. uh, where the newspaper is combined with coupons and uh, kind of, a, I guess you'd call them warehouse workers that leave the warehouse and go out into the city, uh, take the newspaper and they, they go out to different uh, regions of the city and and toss the newspapers at people's houses and sidewalks and uh, leave them at convenience stores. So uh, the film focuses on uh, one man, Bear Lopez, who's been uh, doing this job uh, for 20 years without a day off. Hmm. And so, first of all, I, I mean, call me naive, but I, I didn't realize people were still getting the paper delivered. I mean, what you, <laughs> I mean, I guess to me, what struck me, uh, many things that struck me, but you're, you're kind of documenting a, a dying industry, aren't you? Yeah, Bear, Bear said to us uh, that his, um, he, the people that he delivers the newspaper, it doesn't grow, it, it, like the people just yeah. die off, you know? Yeah. Yeah, we, our office was in that warehouse. Uh, so every morning we, we would come to work uh, having seen them packed the newspapers at night, 
Uh, and in the morning, we would see all the excess newspapers in these giant dumpsters. And you would just, uh, yeah. you know, we'd walk up the steps and I would look down on these dumpsters with uh, thousands of New York Times and Wall Street journals and Austin American statesmen. And uh, you, you did feel uh, like you were seeing the death of uh, print media. Every, I mean, we felt that every day. Wow. And Even is that, go ahead. Even the way that we ended up there um, was related to that, you know, um, the, it used to be the, the warehouse used to be also where they printed and sorted the newspaper. Um, mm. And then they stopped doing that and they started doing it somewhere else, I think in San Antonio, actually. <laughs> and so then the paper would be shipped to that area. But then what happened was that there's like this huge area that's sitting empty and uh, the machinery is still there. So uh, you walk mm -hmm. around it and you feel like it's a post-apocalyptic uh, yeah. newspaper world. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, I've, I've, I used to work right, right around the corner from the Washington Post. I mean, all, they still had the printing presses there and all that stuff. So it's like, uh, that just doesn't happen anymore. And I, you would have had all these paper employees. And, and also, it's not the... Uh, it's not back in like the 50s or 60s, even when I was a kid, you could get a job delivering the papers. I mean, these are these people are relying on this as their uh, to make a living still. Someone like Bear. Um, how did you come? So, how did you? Your offices were here in, in that warehouse in Austin, but uh, how did you find Bear and maybe latch on to him as a subject for a doc? Yeah, well, uh, Yvette is from Mexico, and I don't need to speak what that means to her, but when we go to Mexico, uh, we drive, and there's you pass so many shrines, uh, mm. and a Bear is a Mexican-American, and he's a very artistic. He, he had turned the desk that he worked at in the newspaper office into a shrine, and so... Uh, you would see it, this very long warehouse full of uh, wood tabletops. And then you'd get to one that, uh, you know, it was so ornate and it, it had so many relics uh, from his life and uh, souvenirs and he saved energy drink cans. Uh, and there was photography on his uh, desktop from uh, East Austin uh, that, that he had done over the years. And we were just very drawn to it yeah it's like a shrine to his lifestyle is yeah. what it was yeah. and actually he had a plaque there that said happiness is a journey not a destination and that's where the name of the film comes i mean it's like very significant to that like his journey like every night for him is a journey you know yeah. and it never stops so it is true that you have to find happiness in that Okay, and you've and then you so as you say you follow him around on uh, Christmas Eve and into into Christmas. I gather that was based on the headlines of the New York Times. I gather that was twenty eighteen. Um, but uh, is uh, I mean, imagine you had to have a few dry runs just to get a feel for, uh, or or did you did you just yeah. say you know we're going to rock up on Christmas Eve and film you? No, we. We're, I'm a big, we're both big fans of Sean Baker. And yeah. uh, I think ever since Tangerine, I had fantasized about iPhone filming. Right. And we, we, the first time we filmed, it was on Black Friday because Bear was always uh, talking about how thick the paper was on Black Friday, that it tripled right. in size with coupons. Right. And we thought that that, pageantry and and the workers have thanksgiving in the mm. in the office uh in, in the warehouse and just thought that would be very cinematic and and we wanted mm. to shoot it on iphone so we wouldn't be intrusive yeah uh, it would just feel like a family uh a video um but what we didn't realize is that uh the black friday uh, newspaper is uh, made on wednesday so, so they do uh, Thanksgiving on Wednesday, and then we showed up to film 
on Thanksgiving, which is Thursday, but Thursday in the newspaper delivery business is actually Friday. So uh, uh, Wednesday is Thanksgiving to them because they live in the middle of the night. Right. So we we showed up to film and we were off by one day. Um, (laughs) So, so we had, we did shoot that film as a, a test run. Yeah. And, and so obviously we, we, we um, planned and we thought, we, thought thank, we thought Christmas was a much more meaningful uh, time to see people working in the middle of the night. Yeah, because I think uh, as someone who used to get a New York Times delivered to their house, I probably never thought about the fact that these people work, um, certainly over holidays, over Christmas. And as you point out... Uh, Hasn't had a vacation in 21 years, has he? No. Um, and so, I mean, what's interesting too, I find, is that you you went with this. Uh, whose idea was it to have us to go with a split screen? Um, I thought that was very interesting. To uh, oh, is it is it Yvette? Did you, was that your idea? I think so, or maybe we discussed it together. And no, that it. that was Yvette's idea for sure. But I do remember why. And it's, uh, it just feels like, you know, it's, we decided to do one night, but it had to feel like many nights, Mm. if that makes sense. And even like in the warehouse too, um, it's, it just wasn't, um, it didn't, it wouldn't um, express the feeling of being at the warehouse right if we were just with one screen because there's so many things going on so the uh the split screen is both both a spatial it's both a spatial and um a time choice yeah it's like let's see the space and all the people in the beginning and then when we're in the car with bear it's about feeling one journey that is an every night journey and it happens in many angles and it has many feelings and, mm. and that's how we decided to express it. Um, I agree. It does feel like you're capturing more than one night and I guess it's roughly around 12 minutes long and it, but it feels, I mean, in a good way, I mean, the, the best way it feels, it feels like you got more than 12 minutes worth of, 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 of certainly of, of uh, film in there, obviously, but I mean, it just kind of has a, is an interesting, I, I, I thought it was really, uh, um, I really enjoyed that aspect of, of the film. Um, now, this is you worked with the. Uh, is that a baby monitor that you've got? Oh yeah, the, oh yeah. He, I think Yvette, uh, he hears Yvette's voice through the wall, so he got up, but he'll go back to bed. Okay, well that's that's fine. I mean, if you ever have to get up, don't worry. I've got children myself. No, no, no. So, no, no. He's, yeah. he's fine. It's better okay. not to get up right now. <laughs> <laughs> I know the feeling. Don't 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 make eye contact. Certainly. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> Um, so you worked with the, uh, so you work with the Guardian on this, uh, newspaper here in the UK with this one. It's the second time. How has that, how has that partnership come about? And, um, how, how have you found that relationship? Well, we, we love working with the Guardian. Um, uh, it, it came about, uh, we made a film called The Rabbit Hunt and, uh, Charlie Phillips, we were reading, uh, a review of the short films of that year, the rabbit hunt came out and mm. uh, Charlie referenced the film and that he really liked it in this article. And so we, we wrote him and said, you know, thanks for the shout out, Charlie. Uh, yeah. And uh, we, we have, we have another short that we think is, you know, is quite profound. And uh, how would we go about pitching it to you? And that, and that was skip day. Right. So, uh, like a lot of our films, uh, we we record them with no budget uh, ourselves, and and then they may sit for a year or or longer, and until yeah. we we can create space to work on them. Right. Uh, and Skip Day, uh, we we edited that film uh, toward the end of our our post production of a feature called Pahoki. And it was it was really on the verge of never entering the world. I mean, it, we've mm-hmm. shot a lot of films that are just on hard drives. Right. But uh, yeah, that that was a film. Parenthesis that 
those were all edited in that warehouse. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so so we pitched uh, Skip Day to Charlie. Uh, we uh, sent him a clip from the film, and uh, he and the Guardian came right on board. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and gave us. Uh, the production budget to fi finish the film. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, we were lucky enough that that was programmed at Cannes and, and, uh, uh won and, uh, best short at the director's fortnight. So, yeah. um, I think it was a, it was a huge breakthrough for us, uh, as artists and, and also for the guardian, it was one of the first films they've had at Cannes. So, mm. uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, the, the Guardian, uh, we pitched the New York Times a, a bunch of uh, times, and it's, it, I'm not speaking, I always speak for myself, but uh, it's a very humiliating experience <laughs> to talk to the New York Times uh, op-docs, <laughs> because they, they're so literal, and uh, I had pitched them skip day. Yeah. And they had me write uh, three pages about why I made it. I sent it to them. They never responded. And uh, yeah, it was just very humiliating as an artist. And, and the whole discussion with the Times was, what's your opinion? Yeah, I think it's like the, in the US, a lot of the Times really wants you to have an angle. And that is that. Yeah, and we are yeah. absolutely we work actively against that sort of notion that in the beginning of watching a story, you have to have an opinion already. And, and then we're like selling our opinion to the audience. And that's yeah. not what we do at all. Like it's uh, what we like is for an audience to experience something and develop their own thoughts as they watch it. So it's, it's sometimes hard, you know, and with the guardian, we never had a problem like that. They were just, I mean, I think they've hired, people uh the people that work in uh, mm. film there are very sophisticated and they understand cinema i want to uh so well what one reason i was uh s smiling there is that uh not because of your misfortune with op docs but uh <laughs> i have one producer credit to my name and it was on a short as well and uh op docs got in touch with us we we're really surprised um, and then just send them the film, followed it up, <laughs> followed up again. They never reply. Uh, so we didn't even get to the two or three paragraphs. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's a very interesting, um, interesting observation you have. And I think, uh, the point you said about not having an angle, which brings me to another do uh, short you've done, which is, uh, roadside attraction, which I thought was, uh, I love I love that dog. I mean, I love you know all your work, but it's it's uh, I think someone I don't take credit for this. I saw somewhere I don't know was it on YouTube or something saying it was the most apolitical political doc they had ever seen, um, and maybe tell us a little bit about that because I think it's um, it's a it's a wonderful little uh, observational um, uh, film that you've done, and and I won't I don't want to explain it. You can tell us what outside oh. attraction is about. I mean, you can, you, you, you love telling the uh, story. <laughs> well, I'll just say, uh, and I always speak for myself. It, it, when you're a couple that direct films together, Yvette was born in Latin America. I was born in New York City. Uh, we're very different. Yeah. And I'm eight years older than Yvette. So I, I kind of come out of the punk rock scene. You know, I okay. grew up right. going to Fugazi shows and, uh, smashing my face and uh you know i'm lucky i'm married i you know i didn't have a girlfriend until i was 20 so we're very we're very different people yeah but uh, i i make films for everybody i don't care what your political views are yeah uh i i i i i think that art is a place where uh, we can reach people on a human level you know, we can strip away the tattoos, the T-shirts, the flags, the politics. That, that's really the goal of what we're doing. Mm. Um, so roadside attraction 
we were living in Pahokee, Florida, which is in the Everglades, and it's uh, 80% community of color. Right. And um, we were in a very tiny, uh, it was a shack, a one, one room shack, and we had no washer and dryer. So we would drive across the county to my brother's house in West Palm Beach to do our laundry every Sunday. And when the presidential plane, you know, we passed that plane all the time because Donald Trump was home on the weekends to play golf. And it was like a carnival. Uh, You know, you you would drive by and there were... First, it was the Trump plane that used to park there. And then it became... Air Force One. Yeah. And but, that's, that was what started. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was Air Force One and it was a carnival and it wasn't, uh, people were in awe that a plane was that big and it was parked <laughs> right next to the road. Yeah. And it's, it says United States of America on it. Yeah. And so it kind of became this uh, people, you, you're, you're driving and then all of a sudden you're pulling off the road because it's so yeah. there was a little patch of grass there was parking and you could walk like 30 and yards away from it it also speaks to like the unexpected quality of this event happening that that he got elected and that's why i, I, I say right. like it used to be trump playing and then suddenly it's air force one and it's like nobody was prepared for that so there wasn't the security that was needed so they had these like school buses lined up in front to protect Mm. them because there wasn't it was just like not nobody was prepared so it was a very interesting phenomenon yeah and And i think when he talks about and and when the person talked about like it's an apolitical political doubt because it is like showing um a political event that happened and that effect on people. But I think when we, when we decided to get out of the car and just start shooting, yeah. uh, we were initially saying, well, let's like shoot this and, and other things and try to, you know, um, capture this moment in time. Mm-hmm. But then we realized it's like, it's really about the people coming in and out. Yeah. And, and like, we can just spend the whole day here and this is a movie. You know, and and it's it's really about that. It's about it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, you're you're drawn to that. And and then we as an audience, we as filmmakers get to share with an audience what that means. Yeah. And I like I love the uh, I mean, it's you've got the sign that says no trespassing, whatever. And yet you've got the cops come in and then you think, oh, they're just going to roust everyone. And then they start taking pictures with everyone and selfies and things but what happened at the very end what happens at the end because they the cops run yeah. up to you know well uh, at the end when what's really interesting that happens is uh trump and the first lady were coming toward the plane meaning that uh mar-a-lago this beach mm-hmm. uh this beach resort where they live is right down the street uh and so the police at a certain point had to clear out the public so mm-hmm. that that uh, uh, those set of limousines uh, could pull up with the president. And so uh, Yvette evacuated. Be- I, I was going to get something to eat. Yeah. And I left and he was there by himself and he yeah. couldn't leave. Everybody had to leave, but he didn't have a way to leave. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so I was there with a, a tripod and I just kept, I just kept filming uh, because uh, it was so interesting yeah. to, to see like yeah. the jet jet. There's a little canal next to this road. Mm-hmm. And so there were a, a Navy jet skis going up and down the, the canal. There were helicopters going overhead. And uh, so it was just like seeing the whole mechanism of uh, military mm-hmm. and police that are used to clear the yeah. pathway for Jets the president through the canal. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so that's what happened. So we've been talking. Uh, you've so uh, we've been mo- talking about up to this point your shorts. I mean, is is that? Do you have a preference for shorts? I mean, I know you have one feature, and I guess you've got another feature coming. Or is that just how it's kind of worked out that you've? Uh, um, most yeah, of the films we, have been shorts. Yeah, we, we love we short films. Love shorts, yeah. You know, the, the thing that's so much fun about short films is you, 
you get to be on a stage with eight to 12 people. You get to see a variety of work from around the world and really uh, make friends. And uh, it's, which is a very different process from a feature. It's much more low stakes in many ways because it's less money. Um, It's less like you have to deal with, industry pressures less and so you get to make what like you really get to make what you want uh which we still do with the features but with the features is more it's more of a battle uh Mm. to continue getting to do what we want and with the shorts we can experiment and just do things that are much more spontaneous and so i don't think we'll ever stop making shorts okay um i think that actually takes us to a good point to give our uh Listeners, uh, a quick break. Uh, We'll be right back with award-winning filmmakers Yvette Lucas and Patrick Bresnan. Uh, We've been talking about Happiness is a Journey is one of their shorts, among others. And you can see uh, some of their work there on the uh, Guardian newspaper website here in the UK. If you enjoy Factual America, check out the Movie Maker podcast. That's all one word, Movie Maker where our friends at MovieMaker.com interview everyone from filmmakers just breaking in to A-listers like David Fincher and Edgar Wright about their movie-making secrets and behind-the-scenes tricks of the trade. They go deep and let the guests speak uninterrupted to get you the most film insight. Now back to Factual America. Welcome back to Factual America. I'm here with award-winning filmmakers Yvette Lucas and Patrick Bresnan. We've been talking about their film, Happiness is a Journey. We've also been talking about Roadside Attractions, Skip Day. Um, one thing I was going to ask you, because and for short, you know, these are shorts, but yet you still have this beautiful cinematography in them. And I, and I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I also noticed, I, I was struck by the sound. Um even when there's no dialogue or, I mean, sometimes music comes through, like someone's radio, but just the, it's very much, um, uh, even the, in Happiness's Journey, just the ticking over the guy of um, Bear's engine on that, on his truck, you know, it's just very, uh, it's it's almost, it feels as much a part of this film as, as the visuals and everything else that's going on. Is that something you do on a, is that something you're conscious of when you're, when you're making these? hundred percent. Yeah. It's part of the, the sound is a very important part of the editing process. And uh, I think that we don't do any music obviously over anything. And in one way it's, it's about not leading the audience into how to feel over things. Mm. Um, it's about not assaulting our senses and really uh, allowing for um, the space that's needed for people to process things and to feel like they're there. Um, but also I do, when I'm editing, highlight certain sounds of the scene, you know, diegetic mm. always. And like, I do love a lot of ambience experimental music. And I mm-hmm. think that the editing has to be like, Brian Eno, you know, know, like it just, the editing has to give you a certain rhythm uh, so that you don't need anything that is outside of the world to, to make you go through that um, experience feeling like, like you're out of rhythm or like you're out of there. So it's very conscious for sure. Yeah. No, I like the even just the roadside sounds, you know, in, in roadside attraction or, you know, with happiness is a journey. You've got, uh, um, I mean, even like little snippets. I mean, I think you got a boy on a cell phone and you get a little snippet of his conversation kind of comes in, you know, that, that kind of thing. Um, what could we, uh, maybe, maybe let's, this all takes us to uh, um, your feature that uh, you have done. Um, and... Um, we can talk about Pahokee. You've already mentioned that you lived there for a while, obviously, because you were filming there. 
Um, it's a great uh, uh, feature. But how did you find this town on Lake Okeechobee and and decide that this is, you know, how did this come about, the idea for this film? Sure. So uh, my family um, moved to Palm Beach County, uh, where Pahokee is, yeah. uh, 20, 25 years ago. Uh, and I I found at that time the the beach beach community the coastal community of Florida uh, to be a place I really didn't enjoy being. Yeah. Uh, and so I I started driving uh, into the center of Florida uh, and and discovering the communities around uh, Lake Okeechobee and. Uh, the sh- seeing the sugar cane and the harvest and the burning of the sugar cane and uh, in, in uh, university and uh, high school, I had been doing uh, building pro- volunteer building projects. Mm. Uh, so I became very interested in, in working with people in Pahokee on housing issues. Mm. Uh, and I think anybody who's who's volunteered or w- worked in Pahokee uh, really gets pulled in because the this region has stretch, such a strong culture and mm. uh, such strong family values, and the only stories coming out of that part of the U.S. Uh, typically involve crime or football. Yeah. And, and so we, when I, when I met Yvette, uh, I thought, because I had been to prom in Pahokee, I thought that we, we should go there and try and tell this story with the community mm-hmm. uh, and make a film that was more like a, a, a wedding video where you're, making a, a like a, a video of this e- very sacred event to the community that they in turn will own in the end. Mm. Uh, and so that, that was the premise for the first film we made there called the send off. Uh, and then that kind of led to the other short films and then the feature. Yeah. It was a lot of years before we made a feat. like by the time we said, let's make a feature. Like people had known us very well. Yeah. We had taken people with us to Sundance. They'd seen the shorts. They loved the work. Mm. They were happy with it. And so then they, it was like a process where we earn not only their trust, but their, also their confidence. And they wanted us to tell that story. So it took, it took a lot of years of friendships and, you know, doing mm. things together. I mean, um, as you're saying, you're not, um, Patrick, you're not that drawn to coastal Florida, but so you've headed inland. Um, um, I mean, I, what strikes me is that, um, your films, um, the first one we're talking about having is a journey, but then Pahokee and others, it, it's, it feels to me like at least you're capturing a part of America that is often hidden. Um, that is, um, maybe, well, if, if not marginalized and certainly seldom seen, is that, is that what attracts you? That, that's what, this is something you're putting, uh, and, and I think it was interesting you said something about this, they have their own unique and very strong culture, because I was trying to explain it to my daughter the other, just the other day, she, she asked me what film I was watching, and, uh, or I was talking to my son about high school, because he doesn't know what it's like to go to high school in America, and I was trying to explain it to him, but I said, but you know what, Pahokee's actually not, I mean, I did, experienced some of the same things, but there's a very unique culture here as well that's not anything I would have experienced either. Um, so is that what, I mean, is that one of the things that attracts you to and in, in, in what you were trying to show through this film? De- definitely. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think both Patrick and I have always been kind of, I mean, Patrick's talking about growing up in the punk scene and DIY, and I was also you know, into like metal and stuff like that growing up, like <laughs> nine inch nails. And, and uh, we were not people who were happy with the norm ever, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and we are also people who really like DIY. So like people doing a lot with little, 
mm-hmm. and creating culture. And I think a lot of the times, like we think of people who are creative culture and we think of mainstream culture, but to us, like the real creators are people who are living outside of the norm. And mm. um, we've been like, I was doing it in Mexico uh, when I met Patrick. And then when we got together, we had been driving all over the United States and he was, he had been doing that before too, um, taking photos and participating in events and always around people who are doing performance and music. And so obviously it's not just the part of being either marginalized or not conforming to the mainstream culture. Mm. It's always, it's also the process of creating beauty and music and, you know, um, and then thinking about like, why is that missing from our collective consciousness of who we are as a country or Mm. as people, you know? And so then we, when we see that something that really inspires like that, then we, we make films. Well, well, thank you for making them. And I'll add, I, I, uh, it's my own personal opinion, but I think you've got great taste in music. At least you did in, in your youth. Uh, but, uh, um, I mean, Yvette, on that strand, I mean, is do you do you as coming at this? I mean, obviously, Pedro, you come from New York, and to, but you've come from Brazil via Mexico, or and does that help? Does that give you a different perspective that you think helps with with on in terms of bringing these films, to, um, you know, um, to making these films? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think um, for me observing and learning and respecting people even when they are different than me and appreciating the differences has been a mechanism for survival um Mm. you know being twice an immigrant like going from brazil where we speak portuguese to mexico where they speak spanish and the culture was very different and then here to the united states so it's really who i am and um when so it just it like you see it in the film in the films and that's why also we don't need a lot of dialogue to express things like i think the visual a visual language is has become my my uh like the language that i'm more most comfortable with Mm -hmm. and i think that metaphors and poetry uh has helped me navigate those differences and so um i think it's just only natural that that's how we make films yeah and then i guess patrick you also have a i gather a background as a visual artist so i guess that plays right into this as well doesn't it yes i i was very lucky to uh be in san francisco and philadelphia at the kind of genesis of the uh street art movement. Uh, I mean, the genesis of street art movement is so much older than the 90s. But uh, I was in uh, San Francisco around a lot of great graffiti artists like uh, Barry McGee. Uh, mm. And I was uh, lucky enough to go on and work for them when they became uh, gallery artists. Mm. Uh, and I think uh, we I built a number of shows in Hackney at uh, Stuart Shaves Modern Art uh, mm-hmm. for Barry McGee and his wife, Claire Rojas. Uh, and to be quite honest, uh, that world to me was uh, disgusting uh, in, mm-hmm. in the sense that uh, the, the last show I built uh, uh, really for Barry was at Stuart Shaves uh, Modern Art. And it w- the process was beautiful. I mean, we really enjoyed the creation. I was working for Rojas and, you know, you work right up until the end and then Stuart would walk in uh, with an older lady holding a poodle and she would just start pointing at the walls and a little, you know, his little assistant would start putting red dots on the wall and, and uh, Stuart kind of uh, hustled me off into his office because we were all sweaty and dirty and the opening was about to happen. And I sat in his office and I looked up at the TV and, and I saw uh, Hurricane Katrina happening in the U.S. Right. Uh, and I saw people on top of houses and trapped right. on bridges. And, yeah. uh, 
And I just said, this is uh, this making art, you know, participating in the art making process so that rich people can come and buy it is, uh, it, it felt so, uh, it, it had no meaning. Right. Whereas the impulse to do graffiti or the impulse to make a piece of art and leave it on the street was, was very beautiful and is beautiful. Uh, so I went back to the U.S. and I uh, f- found a Mennonite organization to volunteer with and I moved to Louisiana and I worked with the religious people building houses. Mm-hmm. And that uh, experience of being and being in a community and working for free and, uh, well, volunteering, uh, it, it was so beautiful. And, and there... Uh, there was so much more in that process of helping uh, people rebuild their lives or mm. uh, that, that, that I just, you know, the visual art world became uh, not something I wasn't uh, interested in aspiring toward. Uh, so yeah, that, that's how that, yeah, that was, that was the, but, but uh, from being in communities and, uh, yeah earning trust and having access to people's culture, uh, being invited to dinners and going to church services and going out mm-hmm. on shrimping boats. Uh, yeah. I found those were stories that I wanted to tell. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and so that's how our path kind of diverged into community s- storytelling. Uh, but but we do have a basis in the visual arts and and so there's a lot of thought that goes into composition and cinematography and editing and sound uh, but but they're really stories that are based in in yeah. within communities yeah it reminds me of a, a director i've been i've worked with who uh um he was filming a pentecostal communities in louisiana and he he spent his first few weeks he said the camera never rolled he uh he was yeah. just doing the deliveries of they they do a lot of charity work and delivering food hampers and things to people and that's what he did for the first several weeks that he was there you know um i'm i'm conscious that your little your little man might be waking up soon um i don't know if uh what do we if we let's talk about what's uh, in your future what's next i gather you've got a uh, film in post production um called Naked Gardens. What can you what can you tell us about that film and what what we can expect to see? Well, Naked Gardens is a film that we made at a struggling nudist resort in Florida, a little bit um, close to Pahokee, actually. Um, yeah, I don't know. We, we can't tell too much about it, but we did. Yeah, well... <laughs> Well, we're making, well, we're making behind us. Yeah. Well, we were, well, we're making, yeah. (laughs) I love the dog. What kind of dog do you have? He's, you can have him. He's a Vishna. I'll pay the the freight. He's very sweet, very sweet and highly manipulative. Uh, yeah. Well, you see, no, I can't take him. We we just got a Romanian rescue dog, so no. There's okay. A, well, he's Hungarian. They'll be yeah. best friends. Well, yeah. I mean, maybe yeah. not. Maybe not. Uh, it it uh, depends on whether this yeah. dog's from uh, Transylvania or not. But yes, yeah. I agree. Yeah, we have a good friend from Transylvania. That, 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 uh, well, uh, so when we were making pahoki, we I was at uh, Costco getting groceries, and uh, while I was loading the car a person invited us to the new, they, they saw I had long hair. And I mean, if you're a little bit different in, in Southern Florida, you really stick out. Yeah. Uh, so, so they said, you need to come to our drum circle tonight. And uh, so I said, sure. Yeah. And she said, well, it's, it's at a nudist resort and it's free tonight for, and it's youth night. And, uh, you know, I'm 40-something years old, so I'm thinking, wow, she thinks I'm a youth. So th- this is great. Um, but but uh, we, we realize that the nudist resort is desperate for young people. And uh, so we called and, and uh, asked to get a tour uh, because we're always looking to tell stories about mm. communities, especially communities that are 
uh, I think th there's a lot of uh, connotations in nudism, uh, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of uh, prejudgment about the naked body and people yeah. together. Uh, and about why people would want to be nude. But this is a community that people live there. So, you know, people live there full time. They, it's a camping community, but it's full time uh, mm. camping. <laughs> so uh, long term. And um, it's not just like a resort that you go and spend mm. some time naked. It's like a commitment to um, yeah. live your life that way. And it's a, an act of defiance. And we, we wanted to know what that's like. Uh, to live that life and every every like feature because feature films take a long time so every feature that we yeah. make are experiences that we want to have as well like when we went to Pahokee we lived there for almost a year and uh, when we filmed this nudist resort we we lived close like right next to it not full time there but we yeah. also got nude and, and yeah. filmed with them because it's you cannot point a camera at nude people wearing clothes yourself you know it's just not good yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. no that's uh, I, I think if it's anything i'm sure it will be like any of your other films it's going to be well uh uh, well worth a watch and and I'm definitely looking forward to it. I mean, can you say anything more? Can you say roughly about when it will be coming out? Do you know do you know yet? Yeah, yeah, it will come out this summer. Okay. Uh, we're just uh, negotiating various premieres, but uh, you know it it should uh, we we would love to bring the film to the BFI. Uh, we mm. have uh, we have a producer Roberto Minervini on the film who's been to BFI many times, and uh, he's a director who's producing. Yeah, work. okay. And uh, we have two producers who are from London. Uh, Ju yeah, Julia Nottingham uh, okay. is a producer, and uh, Tabs Breeze is a kind of an up and coming uh, a British producer living in LA. So. Uh, we we have we really want to bring this film to BFI. We we've had almost all of our shorts at BFI. So, so but well, yeah, but this is a definitely a film that needs to premiere in the summer because that's when we all want to be naked. So, <laughs> and I think and hopefully things will be opening up a little bit um, even more so uh, over this summer and. Uh, if you bring it to BFI, uh, yes, I'm, I'm now based outside of London, but uh, hopefully we can uh, actually meet up in person. Imagine that. Uh, that doesn't happen very often these days. But, uh, I mean, you it's another film set in Florida. Um, I guess Florida is a rich mine uh, for, for subjects and topics. But you're, you're sitting there. You're in Austin, aren't you? Um, yes. You got any, any plans for any uh, Texas subjects? Yes, we're, sure, we're shooting sure. we're shooting two new films in in Austin, and uh, in two weeks uh, we're going to shoot a film in Louisiana. Okay. Uh, when when I was volunteering in Louisiana, that that was a you know about a four year period. Uh, someone brought uh, on a weekend brought us to a town called Eunice, uh, where there's a very famous family of. Um, Cajun musicians and also uh, accordion makers, mm. and uh, so for for years and years, uh, myself and then later when I met Yvette, uh, we would go to Cajun Mardi Gras, and so this year Excellent. feels uh, we're all we're all dying inside, uh, yeah. and so the the release of going to a Mardi Gras in a, a rural community that. Uh, that has such rich history of music and yeah. uh, to run through the rice fields uh, and drink and film and take pictures is, uh, yeah, that's our next, our next project. Yeah. yeah. But we've done a lot in Florida cause his family is there, but um, yeah, we definitely have new ideas around okay. us as well. Yeah. Well, we look forward to seeing all these. I mean, that sounds that sounds amazing, actually. That uh, the the Louisiana one. I mean, I uh, I went to a folk festival once years ago up in, outside Boston, and it was uh, they had a session with the accordionists, and uh, it was uh, 
I think the Irish one said it was the instrument that you, when you, that was the youngest in the family always got the accordion because everyone, all the other instruments had been picked already. So you just had to, that's what you've got uh, forced on you. But uh, I can't remember. I got to try to remember who the um, Cajun accordionist was that was there. But uh, Clif- Clifton Chenier? Well, Clifton Chenier, it wasn't Clifton Chenier, but Clifton Chenier is, is famous. I mean, that's, is that who you're talking Is Are they from you? No, the, uh, uh, the Marc Savoie. And okay, uh, I've heard it. the the Savoie family uh, yeah. have their whole life has been de- dedicated to preserving uh, Cajun culture and yeah. keep keeping Hollywood out of it. So they're they're true purists. Uh, so yeah, we're so we're lucky so. enough to hang out there once in a while. Well, that sounds sounds like a sounds like a dream. Um, I think we've actually just about come up to the end of our time together, uh, Yvette Patrick. So, um, um, Yvette and Patrick, I just wanted to thank you again so much for coming onto the, the podcast. It's been great to get to know you a little better and to talk about your films. And uh, if we haven't scared you off, I'd love to have you on after uh, Naked Gardens comes out and uh, talk about that film and some of your uh, new films that are coming out. So thanks again. And um, yeah, wish you all the best. Thank you for inviting us. This, yeah. this has, been, has been lovely. Yeah, right. honor to, it's an honor to join you and uh, let us know when you're back in uh, San Antonio. I, I will. I will. I, I'm not sh- Well, I, I won't make any promises, but I'm hof- hoping it will be relatively soon. So, and, and there's talk of uh, some of us heading to Austin as well, or certainly somewhere in Central Texas, which uh, is where my mother's originally from. So, um, so th- great. I, I look forward to it. Hope, hopefully you do. If, if not in Austin, then maybe at the BFI. So, uh, so g- good luck. Um, and uh, yeah, take care. And we, we look forward to having you on again sometime. Okay. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you. I'd like to give a shout out to Sam and Joe Graves at Intersound Audio in Eskrick, England in deepest, darkest Yorkshire. A big thanks to Nevin Apanovich, podcast manager at Alamo Pictures, who ensures we continue getting great guests onto the show. And finally, a big thanks to our listeners. As always, we love to hear from you, so please keep sending us feedback and episode ideas. You can reach out to us on YouTube, social media, or directly by going to our website, www.factualamerica.com and clicking on the Get In Touch link. And as always, please remember to like us and share us with your friends and family wherever you happen to listen or watch podcasts. This is Factual America, signing off. You've been listening to Factual America. This podcast is produced by Alamo Pictures, specializing in documentaries, television, and shorts about the USA for international audiences. Head on down to the show notes for more information about today's episode, our guests, and the team behind the podcast. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Alamo Pictures. Be the first to hear about new productions, festivals showing our films, and to connect with our team. Our homepage is alamopictures.co.uk.